5, and today we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. We will be covering from verses 16 all the way down to 26, but if you don't mind, let's just begin at the end here. And let's read verse 26 before we pray. I'd like to preach to you today about some strange things, and you'll see why I use that title from this verse. Luke 5 and verse number 26. It says here, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And as we go through the passage, we'll see exactly what they were talking about. But before we do, let's bow our heads together, please, and let's pray. Father, we thank you today how we've already had our hearts touched. Lord, I feel as if you've already preached to us. I have felt the Spirit of God move, and my heart has been tugged at, and conviction has been felt, and encouragement given. And Lord, I thank you for the singing, and Lord, for the visitors. And most of all, we thank you that you're here. And Lord, we, we don't want to walk away from this the way that we came in. We, we desire to meet with you. So please, God, spend some time with us now. Fill me with your Spirit, and give all of us ears to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I think this is true of everybody. This is just life. You know, sometimes life can get pretty mundane. Yeah, you just go week after week, kind of like that hamster in the wheel, you know, just running in circles. And you're doing the same thing you've been doing. And life, it's just part of it. We fall into ruts. That's just life. And then eventually, you get a day like this. You get one of those days where in Mark's gospel, this same story, after they finished, the people said, we've never seen it on this fashion. You have one of those days where God just shows up and makes everything different. It's the kind of thing you tell your kids about and your grandkids about. I remember that day that I went to hear Jesus and I saw this and I saw that reaction. And when God steps in, when Jesus passes by, this is the typical reaction. You end up amazed, glorifying God, filled with fear, knowing that what I just experienced, what I just saw, that was something special. Now, I realize not every moment of our life is going to be like that. But thank God there are some days where you walk away saying, I, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> You're not going to see that every day. That was strange, but in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Let's see what we're talking about here. in Verse number 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. You realize that covers all of Israel. All of the big shots. This is the first time that we're really introduced to the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. We otherwise know them as scribes. That's another way of saying it. This is the first time we see a direct interaction with them and Jesus in Luke's gospel. They have come from far and wide to hear him preach and hear him teach. This already is a strange thing. It was not normal to have all of the big shots, the experts, the religious experts from all over the country travel to a city in Capernaum just to hear this unaccredited, unofficially recognized 30-year-old man teaching in somebody's house. That 
is not normal. Could you imagine all of the theologians of South Africa from every major university, all of the big shot pastors, all of them traveling to hear some unknown guy in the backside of Stilfontaine? <laughs> right? That would be a little strange. It would perk your ears and say, well, what's, what's going on there? Now, these men, they probably heard about what John the Baptist had been saying. John, remember they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you possibly Elijah? Are you that Christ, that prophet? And he said, no, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than me. He's preferred before me. I, I mean, God was using John in a big way. There's a revival going on through, you know, God's using John for that. But he said, that's nothing compared to the guy coming after me. I'm not worthy to, loose down, uh, to stoop down and unloose his shoes. That's how great this guy is. So these leaders, these experts knew something big is coming. And then you can understand how this would happen. Rumors would begin to circulate. Jesus has been teaching and preaching throughout the north. He has done a couple things down in Jerusalem. And now he's done miracle after miracle. People are circulating this. You know, he's gone viral. <laughs> and the experts say, we, we need to go check this out. This seems to be, it's causing quite a stir. Let's go see what this Jesus guy has to say. So this is already a strange thing, but look at the end of verse 17. Every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, they came from there, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I don't think they knew that. When they got there, they showed up not to learn anything, really. They showed up just to investigate and judge whether or not they would accept Jesus as a legitimate teacher of the law. They were there to be critical. They were there looking for faults. They did not show up with this idea in their mind that maybe we need something for ourselves personally. Maybe we have a sickness. There's going to be a paralyzed man that gets brought into the picture here in the next verse or two. But he was not the only one in need of healing. And unfortunately, this part of the story is not strange. It's strange to see the experts gathered. But what's not so strange is that sometimes, I dare say many times, we gather, but we're unaware of just how much we need the Lord to do something in our lives. They weren't aware of it. You know, there's an old saying, and it holds true, if you come looking for nothing, you'll find it. If you come looking for nothing, you'll find it. If you just show up, just to be showing up, you're not going to get much out of it. If you come looking for the presence of the Lord, if you come with this idea in mind that I need some help, there are some issues in my life where I fall short, and I need the hand of God, the power of the Lord to show up and, and change me. You show up with that idea in mind, there's a good chance you're going to get something more out of that service or that Bible study. These men showed up with other, other motives. And they didn't realize that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 18, it says, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. That's a, he's a paralyzed man. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. So there's a massive crowd gathered at this house, mind you. And here they, they're carrying this guy on a bed, trying to get him into Jesus. 
But there's a crowd. They cannot get through the crowd. So many people, it's just packed tight. Verse 19, And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. That's not something you see every day. That's strange. We've never seen it on this fashion. They were, you know what's so different about this? It's, it's very odd to see people this dedicated, this diligent, this excited about getting someone to Jesus. That's just not something you see every day. I think we heard it just now. Didn't we hear in the testimony? Some churches standing for generations. We're talking decades and never have they tried to reach out to the lost. That has become the norm of Christianity and shame on Christianity when that becomes the norm. it's, It's a shameful thing that it's strange to see people this excited, this undeterred by obstacles. We don't care what it takes. We're going to get this guy to Jesus. Do you realize how many excuses they could have made? <laughs> they could have got there and, you know, the guy holding the guy on that stretcher, as we would say it, and, you know, look around and go, ah, you know what, there's just too many people here today. And, you know, I, I, you know they've already started the service. He's already teaching. Uh, we got here a bit late, so let's not buy. You know, what if Jesus says no? I mean, it's not like Jesus invited us. We're just kind of interrupting and going to ask, what if Jesus doesn't uh, heal this guy? And, you know, this isn't, my, this isn't our house anyway. I kind of feel out of place doing this. And, well, okay, I mean, I hate to break up the guy's roof. That seems like, you know, a bit of an intrusion. And, uh, you know, Jesus is in the middle of the sermon. I hate to interrupt. He's probably mid-thought, you know. And, you know what, guys, why don't we just wait till later? Oh, that's the old standby of the devil. The devil will let you hear the truth and know the truth as long as you don't do anything about the truth until later because later never comes. Tomorrow never happens. Tomorrow is an illusion. When you wake up tomorrow, it will be today. (laughs) You get that? When you wake up tomorrow, it'll be today. And you know what you'll say? Do it tomorrow. You know what we read in Hebrews? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no tomorrow. He just skips it because you go straight from today into eternity. Ah, let's just wait till tomorrow. Surely we can find Jesus another day. Not these guys. No excuses. They said, whatever it takes, this man has been paralyzed long enough. This man has not walked long enough. This man needs a walk. Now listen, he needed physical healing, right? But that's not the only healing in the passage. You remember in verse 17, the, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. They had no physical issues. They had spiritual issues. So they bring this sick man, this man with a physical problem, and they said, this guy needs help, but there was a lot of people there that needed help. But it's strange to see people this dedicated to it. Look in verse 20. When he saw their faith, he said unto them. Now notice he saw their faith. He didn't see the sick man's faith. He saw their faith. You know, there are times Jesus will work in somebody else's life because you're so diligent about praying for them. Because you're working so hard, taking that person before the throne, carrying their burdens, right? Bear you one another's burdens. Tell me what's on your heart. I'm going to take it to the Lord, and I'm going to pray until God shows up and does something in your life. And sometimes that sick man is so sick, he's so paralyzed He doesn't even know how to help himself. He can't get himself to the Lord. He needs some other people that have some faith. 
Jesus saw their faith. Can he see yours? Is there anything we can see in your life that shows us your faith? Isn't that, isn't that what James said? Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Jesus saw their faith. I wonder if we were to just go on a speaking strike, completely silent and just watch you live, could we determine what you believe and who you serve simply by the way you live? By how eager you are to get the message out? And, and I say message because we can hand out a tract. We can love each other right without saying the actual words. I wonder if somebody could just see it and go, you know, that must be a Christian there. He saw their faith. He said unto him. So he sees their faith and says unto him, unto the sick man, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. There's another strange thing. You don't hear that every day. Where one apparently, right, Jesus looks human and, and was, he did have a human nature. Jesus here as a human says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. You don't hear that every day. Now, now please make a distinction here. If somebody sins against you, and that is possible, right? If they transgress against you, they owe you an apology, then you can forgive them for what they did to you. But sins that are committed against God, we have no authority to forgive those sins. Sins committed against a man can be forgiven by a man. Sins committed against God can only be forgiven by God. This man and Jesus had apparently never met, and now he, he comes in through the roof, down into the middle of the church service, if you will, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a minute. The guy had never offended Jesus. Jesus is speaking, saying something only God would have authority to say. And the scribes pick up on that. Look at verse 21. The scribes and Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this that, which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, they're right. They're right about that. They have that truth, or they have that, that truth down. God's the only one that can forgive sins. You know what they should have done is taken one moment to think about that and go, wait a minute, if he's forgiving sins and God's the only one that can forgive sins, maybe this is God come down in human form. That would have been a strange idea. That it, you don't see that happen every day, but that's what was happening that day. He says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, what's interesting about this, when they brought this man on the stretcher, why did they bring him? To be healed. What does Jesus do? He forgives him. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder if the guy looked up at him and said, uh, sorry, I, I appreciate that, but that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I'll tell you this, another strange thing I think that's happening here. This is a connection that we fail to make way too often in our lives. We look at our physical problems. We look at our secular problems, right? Our worldly temporal problems. We look at those things and think there must be a temporal, worldly, natural cause for them. It could be that the problems you have going on in your tangible life at work and home, it could be a spiritual problem. The lack of a walk you have, right? That, that, that problem you're having, it could be linked to something spiritual. 
It could be that God is using that physical thing in your life to get your attention to say, hey, you need to look deeper to the roots of what's causing this problem. Jesus is going to fix it from within. That's where you fix these problems. In this case, not every case, not every sickness is due to sin, but sometimes it is. Not every failed marriage, right, has the same thing at the root. But sometimes, right, you need to look inside and go, maybe it's me. Not every time you lose a job is it your fault. Not every time that something goes wrong is it your fault. Spirit, but sometimes it is. And it'd be good to take time and investigate and say, hmm, I came saying, Jesus, please heal my legs. I can't walk. But the real problem was my heart. The real problem was my soul. Verse number 21, the scribes and Pharisees begin to reason. They didn't begin to believe, just to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they are think, they're thinking this out in their heart, right? Not out loud, but just, you know, reasoning in their hearts. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he was reading their minds. He answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Now, that's not something you see every day. Where the, where the man in the room doing the teaching just looks and says, I know what you're thinking. Now, now, sometimes we say that, right? Sometimes our face kind of betrays us. <laughs> but Jesus knew exactly where their doubts were lying. So he says in verse 23, Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. Now, they're baffled. They don't, get, they don't even answer that. Man, what do we do? No one's ever given us this choice. Jesus will go on and give them, in verse 24, the answer, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Now, you see what he's doing. He says, guys, I want, I want you to have clarity on this. That's what the God of the Bible offers, clarity, not confusion. He says, I want you to know that, that I have this ability to forgive sins. Now, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Which is easier? I mean, if it's just pronouncing the words, we can say both sentences just fine, right? But which is easier? If I say your sins are forgiven, how do you prove that? It's not like you can jog up to heaven and check the record book and go, yep, all, all done. I mean, you can't do that. How do you prove that this man actually forgave sins? He said, okay, so maybe you doubt that because there's no physical proof of forgiveness. What if I say rise up and walk? Maybe that's a more difficult claim. Maybe that would be convincing for you. Let me ask you, what would it take to convince you? What evidence do you need? Because Jesus is willing to an extent to show you some evidence to open your eyes. To an extent. He works with sinners that are, that are honestly seeking for truth. As soon as you begin to harden your heart, when God reaches down and shows you truth, and you say, no, no, that can't be right, and you start rejecting clear truth, then things get a little more difficult. But if it's presented to you for the first time, Jesus gives you a legitimate chance and says, all right, here you go. You need evidence that I can forgive sins? How about we do this? If I say rise up and walk, that can be immediately verified. You can because if I say that and he doesn't get up and walk, you know I'm lying. So let's see if we can do that. Rise, and then he says in verse 24, He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. This man immediately, can, can you just picture in your mind, he starts stretching out his legs, if it's me, I'm wiggling my toes, right? That's the first thing I know. I'm going to start wiggling my toes and going, whoa, 
I haven't felt that in forever. Look at that. Toes wiggling. Woo! I mean, I mean, it's a small thing, but right, if you haven't felt that in a while, wiggling the toes, stretching your legs, and then the guy gets up and picks up his... Jesus has now provided the necessary proof. And he says, I, I did this so that you can know it. Do you know how many times you find this over and over in the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, the invitation to come and see. Come and see Jesus when he met that woman at the well in John chapter 4. He answered her questions, told her everything that she had done, and she runs off to the people of Samaria and says, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Come and see. You remember that Nathaniel, he says to Philip, or sorry, Nathaniel, yeah, Nathaniel says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says unto him, come and see. Philip had said, we found the Messiah, he's Jesus. Yeah, but from Nazareth, I mean, it's like, surely, no, 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 the Messiah in Nazareth, that can't be, that can't be. He says, come and see. Friend, maybe you've come to church this morning, you've got some doubts in your heart. I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've got some questions, ask. Come and see. They came to Jesus once and said, how do we know that you're telling the truth? You keep you know, testifying. How do we test what your, 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 your witness? How do we test it? He said, well, John the Baptist bore witness to me. My father spoke from heaven. That's pretty strong evidence. You can look at the miracles I'm doing. That speaks to the truth of it. And lastly, you can search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. So if you're interested to really get the truth, you can come and see. Jesus will give you what you need to know. Now these guys, these experts, when they saw it, you would like to think that when they see the man rise up and take the bed, that would be enough. But you know they, they explain that away as well. Later on they would say, no, no, he's doing these miracles through the power of the devil. Remember that? You know why they rejected that proof? It wasn't because it wasn't a good proof. It was a good reason to believe. They didn't want to believe. Because if they believe it, they have to leave behind their jobs. They have to leave behind their reputation. They're going to lose that position in society. They're going to lose their friends. Their whole life is going to change. It has nothing to do with the proof. It has to do with the change, with the cost involved. The Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it talks about a prophet standing up and saying, watch this miracle. And a false prophet could do a miracle. And it says, if a false prophet does a miracle, the way to test it is to then look and see if he's telling you to follow the commandments of Jehovah or if he's telling you to follow some other God. How do you test that miracle to see if it's of God or not? Open your Bible. You know what these men did? They tested nothing. They looked no further because they had already decided before they got there, we're not going to believe this. If you come to the service with that hardness of heart, you're going to walk away having taken nothing from it. The power of the Lord was present to heal them, but they didn't want to get anything out of it, so they didn't. In verse number 25, it says, Immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. You know, this is some of the best evidence of Jesus' authority to forgive sins is a changed walk. 
Before you weren't walking, now you are. And that's true physically in this case, but it's also true spiritually. You know, the best evidence that you'll see that Jesus is the true Savior, the Son of God, who He claimed to be, is look around the room at all the lives that have been changed. I wasn't like this before I met Jesus. I was the exact opposite of this before I met Jesus. I, I had somebody recently tell me, you know, because they only know me as Pastor Mike. They've only, they've only met this version of Mike. I get that. I mean, all of you in the room, you, you never knew the old me. There's a song we sing. If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love Him so. If you could just take a look at what I was, to what I am now, right? That you don't see that every day. You don't get to see it because you just see the 25-year-later version of me. If you could just see the big picture, that's not normal to get to see a transformation just like that. But man, has he done it. He has made a difference in so many lives, thousands, millions of lives. Would you just take a moment and look at that evidence? Did you know that he can do that for you as well? The power of the Lord is present to do that for you as well. I, I met a man some years ago. His name is David Spurgeon. Maybe I've told you about him before. I'm sure I have. David Spurgeon was in a bike, biker gang in America. Now, you know there's a couple of big ones there, Hell's Angels and some others. I've never been a biker, so I don't know all the names. I just know that one name. He was in, I think it was the Outlaws or something like that. He was second in command in the entire nation. Now, again, I, I'm not an underground uh, mobster kind of guy, so I, I don't know just how, how uh, rough that, that is. But to be second in command, you're in charge of a massive operation. They're running drugs and taking people out. I mean, it's heavy stuff. He got busted. He got arrested. And he was facing at least 38 years in prison. He's tattooed from his wrist all the way to everything. Just one big tattoo, basically. He had long hair, big beard. I mean, he fit the biker type. And while he was in prison waiting for his trial, a preacher in Ohio went to visit him and said, why don't you come to the service? And Spurgeon did. He went to the service and went back a couple times. And then one day, Brother Gresham showed up and said, you're going to hell. And preached on hell that day. And those prisoners began to tremble. And, and Brother Spurgeon, well, I'm going to say David at that time, he went back to his cell under deep conviction and he realized I got an issue I can't get around this he called that preacher in there and said I want to get saved now and he got saved he gave his heart to Christ and you know the next few weeks after that he came to the Bible studies and brother Gresham was starting to disciple him and you know said you need to clean up your life and give this up and change this and that and he began reading his Bible and praying and a few months later he appeared before the judge and the judge was a lost Jew you know what that guy said? Who are you? He looked down at David Spurgeon and said, who are you? <laughs> he said, I'm David Spurgeon. He says, you're not the guy that I saw a few months back. <laughs> he had cut his hair and shaved and was wearing a suit, clean cut. He said, what's going on with you? He said, judge! Because David Spurgeon, you got to know him. You've you got to hear him preach. Judge! I got saved! <laughs> I got born again! And he started to tell that judge, what had happened in his heart and what changes he had made. And that judge said, this sort of transformation, I've never seen. 
I've seen strange things today. I've never seen it on this fashion. He said, okay, tell you what we're going to do. Instead of sending you back to prison for 38 years, I'm going to give you a different punishment than I've ever given. You are sentenced to preaching the gospel for the rest of your life. That lost Jew sentenced him to be an evangelist. I kid you not, and to this day, he's an evangelist. He goes around from church to church, and he preaches about getting saved. <laughs> you don't see that every day. Hey, that's a strange thing. That's the kind of thing that happens when Jesus passes by. He takes a life headed in one direction and changes it completely 180. Verse 25, immediately rose up before them, took up that wrong he lay. I like that. He took up that wrong he lay. You know what that is? That's your old life. He just picks that up, throws it over his shoulder, and gets on with life. That old life, you just kind of put it behind you and just walk off into the sunset, hand in hand with Christ. He took up that wrong he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. You know what? I think that's another strange thing. It shouldn't be, but unfortunately it is. You know, too many times people, when they go to their own house, all you hear is yelling and screaming and fighting and cussing. You turn on the TV and it's more of the same. Then we watch it for entertainment. You go to work and it's dirty jokes and bad language and cheating people. And you should be able to go home and hear somebody praise God. Wouldn't it be nice to go home and sit around the table with friends and family and talk about how good God's been to you? Wouldn't it be nice to go home and pray with your spouse instead of yelling at her? Amen. <laughs> the power of the Lord is present to heal you, my friend. <laughs> that ought not be a strange thing. It ought to be normal in our homes where we walk in and, and we don't feel awkward to say, I was talking to God today and the Lord said this and I read that in my Bible and singing a hymn and playing a song and people smiling and liking each other in, in the house. This man went home and said, let me tell you what God did for me today. Don't you know he had a story? How about you? Couldn't you go home? How about, how about we end the strangeness of that? How about that becoming the norm? Sitting around just praising God, talking about how good he's been to us. Verse number 26, they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear. You know why? You know why they were afraid? That man that was just in our midst, teaching, preaching, working these miracles, changing these people's lives. If, if we're understanding this right, if he has the power not just to fix us physically, but fix us spiritually, I don't, want, I don't want to miss my chance with this man. I want to get it right with this man. I want to make sure that I do the right thing with this man. Because if he is who he's claiming to be, the Son of Man, the Messiah, this is my chance. Because through him, God's offering salvation. Through him, God's offering a relationship. I don't want to miss that. They were filled with fear and said, okay, we haven't seen anything like this before. Now what do we do with it? That's the same offer that's being made to you today. It could be that you're stuck back in verse 17. That the power of the Lord is present to heal. 
Not just the physical ailment. Yes, that's possible. But more importantly, that spiritual problem. Maybe you're here and not saved. It starts with you recognizing, I need some help. And now that I see where to get it, I want to make it right with Christ. Whatever it takes, nothing's going to get in my way. If I have to rip open the roof, I want to get to that man. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Our pianist will come and play something quietly. I want to give you guys a moment or two to think on what you've heard. You know, Jesus didn't have, a, he didn't have an opera or a choir singing in the background. He didn't have entertainment all around him. He got to that house and he was just teaching the people. Somebody came needing help and Jesus was compassionate and ready to help. You don't need the hoopla in order to recognize the power of God being present. You understand that, right? There doesn't have to be fancy music and putting on a big show. You just have to believe what he said. Say, preacher, what did he say to me? He said that if you call upon his name, he'll save you. He said if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. Say, Brother Mike, I've already met the Lord. I'm that man that had no walk, and now I'm walking with God. Amen. Go get that next paralyzed guy that can't walk with God right now. Put him on your stretcher and get him to Christ. Maybe that's what you need to pray today. Maybe that's, that's your part of the story. Say, man, if I did that, if I was that excited, that would be strange. That's not our culture. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we need. People not held back by excuses, but will do anything to get people to Christ. The power of the Lord is present to help you do that. You, friend, not just the person next to you, you. God can use you. Now you need to have some faith in that. In just a moment, we'll close. But heads are bowed and no one's looking. I just want to ask so that I can pray for the right people. Anybody here today say, Preacher, I'm that guy on the stretcher. I don't think I'm saved. I know I'm not walking with God. Would you just pray for me? I'm not going to point you out. I won't, I'm not going to embarrass you. just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? You can slip your hand up, put it right back down. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate the honesty. Anyone else say, preacher, just pray for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Amen.
I know life can get mundane. We fall into the rut. It's good sometimes to be reminded that Jesus can come in and do something unexpected. Don't be hard to that. Father, I thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning, reminding us. Reminding us of just what a difference the Lord Jesus makes in a person's life. You send us away different. Lord, I pray that those hands that went up, those that do not know you personally as Savior today, Lord, might they acknowledge the the lameness, the sickness of their soul. Might they not dig in their heels to whatever tradition they have, but just be ready to change. Help them to come and see. Lord, several others facing whatever challenges life has given them. I pray that you'd show up in that unexpected way. Do something special so they can go home and glorify God. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock for Bible School.